Welcome to Conversations with Buddy, coming to you live from the Rec Podcast Studio here in Kaiser, Oregon. I'm excited for my guest this morning. His name is Dr. Corey Gilbert. I know him as Corey, but uh, welcome, Dr. Corey Gilbert. How are you? Great. Good to be here. Excited. Well, well, thanks for coming and being a part of our show. Uh, I know you have a podcast, and uh, you're light years ahead of me as far as how well you do this, so no judgment, (laughs) but we'll have fun. We'll have a good time. So, Corey is a husband. He's a God-fearing husband, actually. He's a father, a mentor, counselor, tribe leader, and we'll talk about that, author, and a professor of counseling psychology at Corbin here in Salem, Oregon. So we'll talk about tribe leader. What I mean is you have some kids that are in Boy Scouts. So tell so me about that. Just troop for, leader. Troop leader. So yeah. tell me about that a little bit. I want to hear a little bit about that. Sure. I followed you for years, but you can tell the story. Yeah. So it's interesting. My dad was a Boy Scout and did all that. But then I grew up in Chile, South America, and there wasn't that. So he didn't get to do that with me. And then when God gave me a son and then a second son and they got to first grade, it was like, what do we do? We tried soccer and things, but um, we ended up trying Boy Scouts. That was 11 years ago. And so this is my 11th year leading in Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts at first and then yeah, Boy yeah, Scouts. So, yeah. so we, you're loving that. We, yeah, it's been different because we are under the men's ministry at our church. And so it's actually about dads mentoring sons. What a concept, huh? And so moms, you're invited to be a part of the committee and decisions, but dads, this is about dads leading sons so that my sons have other men speaking into them and I'm speaking into these other young boys, um, which has been just amazing the last uh, 11 years. So I was listening, I was at the gym yesterday and listening to a couple of your podcasts. I've listened to about three total and I know you have like 280, so I've got a ways to go. What I know about men, it started back in the book of Genesis, is that Adam was a fairly passive guy. And I noticed that with men, they're fairly passive. Um, Husbands are passive. And so what I've noticed about you is you teach biblically how to not be a passive husband, father. And so we're going to talk about that. We'll get later into that later on. Let's back up just for a moment. Mm -hmm. So you and Kelly have been married for how long? 19 years. 19 years. How many kids you got? Three. Three. Ages? 16, 14, two boys, and then our daughter's 12. Okay. So you're kind of right in the middle of it. I mean, like... Yes, we're in the middle. I call them my experiments. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How's that experiment going? Uh, Sometimes we wonder. (laughs) Okay. When you see them, our negative sides or not so great sides in them, it's kind of like, ugh. Or when they wrestle with their faith and or make decisions that are not so... Smart. It's so your family has problems just like my family. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's interesting. Because sometimes we could look at somebody like you who teaches on a uh, topic mm-hmm. like, well, sex, going beyond the talk. Your your book says, I can't say that. I can't say that. Mm-hmm. But it appears you have it all together like because you're speaking biblically, you know, truth, yet you're still dealing with the same challenges the rest of us do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was actually heading to a parenting conference one time and found out my son was texting some girl trying to rescue her from self-harm. And it's like, and not sharing that. And so we had to kind of argue, wrestle with, not physically wrestle, but to get his phone to see what was going on to then 
hey, this is not acceptable. We need to be involved and the parents need to be contacted. And um, Oh, and by the way, thanks for giving me more information to use in my parenting <laughs> seminar. <laughs> Interesting. With that said, so that was your son trying to rescue somebody while he had the right heart. Mm -hmm. Why do men isolate? Oh, great question. I think there's this innate, almost just a surrender to to not fight nowadays, to not, and it's also shamed in our culture. And so there's, it's, it's being pushed and almost uh, engineered right now, I think, to just be passive. Like right now, there's some troops, some Boy Scout troops that have started girl troops. And they end up not doing what they're supposed to do, which is two separate groups. So they kind of mix them a little bit or they're working together. Almost inevitably, the guys go, all right, you lead. And they just passively let the girls lead. So they give up. Yeah, and you use a keyword engineered. So as we, as the timeline continues to tick from the days of Adam, mm -hmm. it is in our sin nature to be, as men, passive. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for women because I'm not a woman. But now even more so, there's engineering in our society mm -hmm. to dumb down a man's role. Yes. I bet you that's probably a pretty deep subject for you to, to discuss. I, I, I've loved your podcast because it really hits some really hard topics. Mm -hmm. Like what, one thing I learned yesterday was as a parent, I had two daughters, you have two boys and a daughter. Mm -hmm. When do we have the sex talk? And so it was interesting what I heard you say on your podcast, which I hadn't thought of, was we, our kids are going to learn from somebody. Is it from us or from somebody else, number one? Mm -hmm. And at what age do we teach that? And you said earlier is better, somewhere between, I don't know, seven and 10, but 10 is past 10, could be too late. I was too late. Talk yeah. about that real quick and really expand on why that is. Well, we have this belief that our kids are innocent. And they're not. They are born with, if you've never met a child, they have a sin nature. They know. They learn the word no first. They are selfish. They are sin bent. So they're not innocent. We need to teach them reality. And the reality is the world is going to try to teach them an ethic that is not biblical. And so I believe that our kids tend to listen to who they hear first. And what's happening is parents are, oh, I'll talk to them when they're a teen by the time they hit their teens, they've been taught from every place possible a different ethic. And so they look at their parents and go, oh, you're so antiquated, you're so old school. And it's actually, again, engineering parents to be pushed away and kids to know it all, and the system to actually be the smart ones, friends, school, culture, and parents to be dumb. So I think if we start younger, I believe, and I've seen it, they adopt our understanding of a theology of, of marriage, of, of dating, of pornography, of masturbation, all these things that actually is going to protect them as in they have the wisdom to make decisions. And when you teach a kid at, you know, five or six about the birds and the bees, we call it, yeah, they, they don't understand most of it. But when you teach, talk about it, when they ask a question, you talk about it again at six and then at seven and then maybe at eight and all of a sudden it's, those pieces start fitting together, no pun intended, um, and they start, oh, okay, they, and it makes sense, and it's not shocking, it's not this end-of-the-world revelation um, that tends to happen, so that by the time they're actually making decisions, then 
it's from a biblical worldview, hopefully. And you're just planting seeds yeah. for them to then grow by. The other side of that coin, though, is abuse. If we teach stuff earlier, we're much more likely to prevent abuse because they have a vocabulary to, to name body parts. They have a relationship with us to talk about those subjects, those taboo subjects. And they're more likely, not not that they always will, because harm shames us. So it, we go into the dark, but to be able to have the permission to say, hey, this person made me uncomfortable or this happened, I was touched in this way because it does happen, and it does happen the majority of the time with someone that we trusted, someone that's in the family, someone that's known. 91% of abuse happens by someone that's known. It's not stranger danger. That is a big number, 91%. What it sounds like is getting in front of the potential mm -hmm. problems that come as a teenager or early teens or just right before teens. Mm -hmm. Begin, what you said was teaching them things or asking them questions so they can make a decision before they get into a situation Yes, and planting that seed early on. And that has to be with the word of God as well. Mm -hmm. I know you quoted a scripture out of Deuteronomy. Um, what was that verse that you quoted? Uh, now or? <laughs> that was, you know, it was quite a while ago in one of your old, older oh, podcasts. Okay. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. The point is you probably have a list of scriptures that you go to as you teach your own kids and as you counsel yes. others, is that fairly true? Yes. Well, and the biggest thing there is like, just think of marriage. Marriage is being, it's under attack. The family, the family as a uh, family unit is being um, downgraded, if you will. So we, we need to be able to teach, not just act out and not just live, but to actually teach a biblical view of why did God create marriage? Why did God create the family? Why is the church actually one of the most important vehicles that God works through? And why is it important to be a part of a church, a local church? Those pieces are all there. They're in the scripture. But the world's going, oh, marriage is, is a human invention. One man, one woman for life. That's just a human construct. It's antiquated. It's antiquated. For sure. Mm -hmm. No. Family. Oh, anyone can raise your kids. Actually, our school can do it better. That's the attitude culturally. Yeah. So we need to come ahead of that, in front of that. And that's where parents actually so I remember the first time I set up my books at a at an event, I'd watch parents walk by me and never even look twice at the book and they're holding little babies. And I realized that's my market. I want the young mom to see how important going beyond the talk is. Not, oh, my kid's twelve or thirteen, now it's time for me to start that. I'm like, it's almost too late. They already at 12 or 13 have an ethic that they believe from somewhere. Well, they may have already seen pornography. Most likely, yes. Most likely. I mean, heck, kids at eight or 10 probably have a cell phone, full internet. Yeah. So what you're really, I'd be curious what you'd say about this. As a guy, as a dad, I'm also married. Is it my responsibility as a dad, as the leader of the home, to not be passive, to be the leader in how we begin and continue this whole thing? Or do we simply do what a lot of dads do, rely on our wives? To, well, mm -hmm. I work all day, so therefore my wife has to lead the kids and I hope it goes well. When I wrestled that with that with my wife when our kids were little, I remember coming to her going, 
am I doing something wrong? Am I missing something? Because you're building into them theologically more than I am right now because they're at home, they're babies, they're little ones. And it was a fun kind of wrestling out, you know, of just, is, is this right? To then realize, see, really see, if you look through scripture, the key or a key person or persons that actually really moved things were moms and grandmothers and sisters. And the role that they have is beautiful and precious. And it's not just men, but we now have extremely passive men. So if you go back to Genesis and look at the fall, the men, you're going to be, you're going to work hard. The working is going to be difficult, toil of the land. For women, it was two curses from the fall, pain in childbirth, and her desire will be to rule over him. And I think we're seeing that worked out, where her desire to rule over him is happening in a way that we are empowering so many women to take over their husband's role, and it works for a while, and then it doesn't work. It doesn't work for society, for kids, it doesn't work because we're meant to be different. We're trying to eliminate gender. And it's like, no, men and women are so different and beautifully different. How do we celebrate the differences? And then every couple has a different way of working that out too. It's not just some cookie cutter, men are like this and women are like that. There's not just a simple book, you read the book and you have it all figured out. Yeah. Is that... <laughs> I wish. How does, how does the passivity of a man, the woman, part of the curse is, you know, pain in childbirth and then, she wants to be the control mm -hmm. person. I'm not calling women controllers, but biblically. That's all of us. Yeah, we all like to control to some extent, but men love to be passive. How does that then affect divorce rates? Because we know divorce is probably every marriage, 50% of marriages end in divorce or more. When that number is actually less. Really? Yes. Do, do tell. So the 50% divorce rates, that's been, uh, basically it's a myth. So Shanti Feldon, a researcher, Harvard researcher, Christian in Atlanta, she went after that saying, so show me the money, prove it to me, and could not find it. It was a prediction decades ago that has been an absolute lie that has been said from the pulpit. I have said it for years, and at one point I remember even some studies said, oh, and in the church it's 65%. It's like, and we believe it because we know so many people that are divorced. And the truth is, is she found that it's in the highest it's ever been in the 33%, which is so much more hopeful. But if you're actually a part of a local church and have healthy relationships, don't live together before marriage, and there's some other lists of re reasons, it actually drops down to even 17%, that the majority of people are actually not in this dire straits of we're going to get divorced. When there's a room full of people, it's not half of you are going to get a divorce. We have done a good job of scaring people away. And so it's like, oh my gosh, how how manipulative of Satan is this to to have us think this because we're so, well, we're human. So we show up at church and we hear a message, you know, divorce rates are at 50% mm -hmm. and good luck to you. Yeah. Well, gee, that's encouraging. So so really the facts are, the, it is encouraging that maybe it is 33%. Mm -hmm. And if you're actually walking by the Spirit, you're actually in Bible study, you are connected to the body, that number is maybe half. Yes, at half. And another really interesting one that she found in that study was college education actually drops the divorce rate. That's really interesting. So the age you are when you get married, so getting married younger, it's higher versus basically after 25, you know, prefrontal cortex development. 
Um, and then you know more what you want to do and be, and you've kind of worked yourself out a little bit. But again, not living together before marriage, which that's on the increase. Because of the fear of marriage, more and more people are living together. Let, let's try it out. Let's test it out. I know. I see it all the time. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Mm-mm. Interesting. So, okay. So there are things I know about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're Corbin Professor. Mm-hmm. You've wrote a book and you have a podcast. Let's start with professor. So how long have you been a professor and what is it that you actually teach? I know it's probably some sort of biblical counseling, but explain it. Okay. So I've been actually a licensed counselor for 23 years. So I've been in private practice for 23 years, which is crazy to think about. Um, 18 years as a professor, started at a little school in Mississippi, then a school in Georgia, now here in Oregon. Been, this is my 10th year here in um, Oregon at Corbin University. I teach counseling psychology, um, which is very much looking at the psychology side. It's, it's an undergrad degree that's really almost mimicking a master's degree that looks like looks at the practical tools of counseling. But you're not licensable until you get your master's degree. And so what I my heart behind it is the students... Most will not go on to get a master's degree, but many will go into ministry. I want you prepared to deal with people. And so I've created a very intentional program that actually helps you. If you don't go to get any more education, you are prepared to step into the muck. Yeah, I have classes on trauma therapy and human sexuality and abnormal psych, family systems. So it's a mixture of counseling and the psychology side that helps you so it's not biblical counseling because that's a different field, but everything I teach and do is from a biblical worldview. But it's pairing the biblical with the theological, the theological with the scientific and research studies. And um, most of my classes, you'll be using the textbooks that they would be using at U of O or some other university, but we're still teaching through the lens of a biblical worldview. Because if you look at all the counseling theories, it's just a load of messed up people that think theism is a disorder and you almost kind of want to just toss it all out as a Christian. And it's like, no, they actually have good concepts and good ideas. How do we sift through it to not throw it all out, maybe with bathwater, but actually find the good stuff that we can actually use, tools that we can use. Light, Cloud, and Townsend have done and others have, that have come before um, Dr. Daniel Amen and his research and that kind of stuff. So really using tools from other Christian believers, but also from secular to become, to help equip students to become better, whether it's if they go into nursing or they go into teaching or um, in any career, but also the one that mo- most of them will go into become a, becoming a husband, a father, hmm. mother, wife, um, that role. Which is most important. It is, and I have to be so careful with that. But I still have college-age women coming into my office going, what do I, why am I here? I just want to be a wife or a mom. And I'm like, why did you use the word just? Because they've been conditioned that their value is in a career, which is so heartbreaking because we've devalued motherhood specifically, but also that role um, of, of wife and, and mom. And that's sad to me. Yeah. Sounds like you have a real passion for what you teach. Mm-hmm. I, I know that personally because I've seen you at it. But uh, speak of your passion and then how that led into writing a book and starting a podcast. And by the way, which one came first? 
I don't know that answer. Um, book first. Book first. And I had a second book that came out last year. Okay. So what, what was your first book? First book was I Can't Say That. Okay. That's a book for, for parents and has a separate workbook that helps the mom and dad wrestle through what do I believe. Looking at scripture and asking some questions to help you, how do I prepare myself to teach my kids and to talk through these things? And then the second book was a similar content that's for the teen or preteen where if I won't deal with it, hand them the book and helps them wrestle through for themselves. What do I believe? How do I handle all the stuff from polygamy and polyamory to uh, masturbation to pornography to dating and all these hard subjects that aren't talked about enough. So, What's the name of your second book? Going Beyond the Talk. Oh, it's, oh I can't say that. Going Beyond the Talk. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Yeah. And then the name of your podcast is? Family Features. Family Features. Yeah. And you've been doing that since early 2018, I think is the last date. Mm-hmm. How often do you do your podcast? I uh, used to, I really, was releasing four or five episodes a week. Um, now I'm at one a week. So. Yeah. You have some good guests on there. Mm-hmm. Lots of good content. Which uh, book would you recommend most? Probably the first one, but. Curious it's on. interesting that a lot of families that I've talked to are actually using the second one for the teen and preteen as a family devotional, Ooh. where they're actually going through it as a family and reading it together as a family, and it's got questions at the end of each chapter to ask, and it's really, it's chock full of just questions to help you think. One of my favorite reviews was from some 18-year-old that said, thank you for not telling me what to think, but helping me think for myself. Hmm. I was like... That's my goal. That was so awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So the first book, obviously, is to educate the parent, mm-hmm. but if the parent doesn't take that next step and go educate the kid, then it was pointless. So having that second book available mm-hmm. is you're involving the kid, mm-hmm. the kids. And, well, I'm becoming their mentor, basically, and you're becoming their mentor in yeah. the devotion and mm-hmm. uh, helping them through hard times. Is there any scenarios that? come up more than others? Well, just in my own counseling and work right now, the biggest thing is gender. The biggest thing is same-sex attraction, homosexuality, pornography, just all the sexual stuff. Now, there's so much other stuff we need to deal with with our kids. We need to be talking about, especially in Oregon, pot, you know, marijuana. We need to have a theology of how do we handle those subjects. We need to be teaching money, money management. There's so many areas so those are important. I just focus in on the area of human sexuality, God's design for us as men, women, uh, marriage, and then um, dealing with some really, really messy, yucky stuff. Sexual abuse, the honest truth is more people than we realize have a history of sexual abuse. Interesting. And so how do we talk about that well and equip people to rise above trauma and pain and and these impossible moments that they're doing everything they can to, to block out, but 10, 20, 30 years later, it's still hurting them. Just It's limiting their ability. So, Is there a simple answer to help people from a past trauma that if, if they believed this, life would be good? Simple, no, <laughs> but... Satan loves the dark and loves secrecy. Hmm. So one of the hardest hurdles is to come and say, that's my story. Do you need to go back and tell your whole story? No. 
that was old trauma therapy, which we just re-traumatize people. So it's not going and telling the story. Because some people go to counselor after counselor, telling the story, telling the story, and getting nowhere. That's not the goal. That's not even helpful, actually, most of the time. But it's understanding that I can't erase what happened, but I can sure learn from it and rise above it, and God's the Redeemer, and that He wants to restore, and He wants to use ickiness, gross stuff, to for His glory. And so when you see it for what it was, evil, and then put the shame where the right where the shame belongs, which is on the person who did harm. I mean, usually you talk to it's not it's boys and girls are going through this. Um, adult men, adult women are dealing with this. But when I carry shame that's not mine, I'm trapped. So it's putting the shame on the perpetrator and or even mom and dad. That's a hard one because shame on mom and dad for not protecting you. But it's not to stay there. You have to be careful with that. It's not, I'm going to point the finger at mom and dad. It's once I can say I wasn't responsible at 7 or 10 or 15, my parents were supposed to protect me, but they can never do so, ever. They'd have to keep you at their side every second. Um, then I can take the next step, which is forgiveness. But if I can't tell the truth and I'm lying to myself, as in I'm responsible, I'm trapped, and I'm living in a lie, and Satan's having a dance. So guilt and shame mm -hmm. keeps you stuck. Yep. You don't want to share it with anybody. You, in essence, have believed a lie like it's my fault, even though it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And Satan loves the isolate. That's how he isolates people, which is why you have probably many addictions, whether it's pot, mm -hmm. any type of drug, alcohol, overeating, pornography, sex. sex. Yeah a thousand more things to comfort us or that pain mm -hmm. that we're carrying. We were never meant to carry that pain. That's why he says, what, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. I struggle with that. He mm -hmm. says, cast all. Not not just the big, but also the little bitty guys too, which yeah. I just like, well, Lord, well, I'll, I'll take this one. But I know the verse. I know it well. Yep. Uh, but I have to practice it every day. So how do you get people to practice truth because that's difficult it's fellowship it's people it's fellowship. that you're hanging around it's who you who you rub shoulders with every day and so if you've isolated you're already in trouble and most men have actually done that most men do their jobs and have a family maybe and they've they've isolated themselves i hear so many men who talk about their wives like they're some foreign alien this should be your best friend and if it's not you got some work to do not get a new one learn to understand her, to love her, to do life with her, to dream together, to work together. So isolation, the body of Christ, because as we know, men and women are different. So men, you need other men in your life, period. I didn't understand that. I was very comfortable in the church and I was very comfortable around women. Um, I do better with a female boss, like that kind of stuff. I've always, and then to see now that actually the role of men in my life has absolutely changed me. It makes me love my wife better, my kids better, serve better. Um, they challenge you different as men than a, than a woman would. It's interesting to see. Just And then my wife had to come to that realization too, that she needed mentors in her life. And then when she did that, her life changed. Interesting. It, it rose. When did you first realize 
you needed men in your life that you, you, you maybe had been isolating yourself and then some conviction or some aha moment where God's like, Hey, Corey, you need not to isolate. It's a bad road. When did you finally notice that? Was in seminary, my counselor, I was actually in seminary. I went to group counseling as part of my schooling and then they recommended me for more counseling. I was like, thanks. I'm that messed up. Great. And it was that individual counselor who kept challenging me to make male friendships. And I'm like, why? That's stupid. They're all dumb. Like the depth of conversations were so pathetic. And so I couldn't. I never did really do that well. And then I meet Kelly and I'm married and I realize I can't put my whole weight of my needs on my wife. It will destroy her. Uh, she can't be my all and my everything like we actually see in the movies and see every. No, that's actually hurting her if, if I do that. And it started after she had reached out to find a mentor that I realized I don't have this. And what's funny is I looked around at church and there were some guys that had motorcycles. And I'm a, I ride a motorcycle. And so we started a, a group of guys that all drove minivans, had kids, and rode bikes together. And every year we would take a trip and we would. So, Corey, just let me interject real mm -hmm. quick. So does this give me permission to go to my wife and say, hey, honey, for me to be a man, I now have to go get a Harley? <laughs> well, it's funny. My wife actually says a real man has a truck. Ooh. And I'm like, I have a Harley. She goes, I real man has a truck. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I have a truck and I like, I was telling my <laughs> wife about a year ago. I'm like, I have this uh, Explorer. I go, I really need a truck because I need to be a man, <laughs> jokingly, but about a truck. Nice. I like trucks, but I don't know if I'll, I'll pull the motorcycle with my wife, see what she says, but. Uh, Probably won't go well. Probably won't go well. That's why I always tell guys, like, you make sure you have it before you get married. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. But then from there, though, I moved to Oregon and I lost those guys. That, that They're still good friends, but we're different sides of the country. And what's funny is the men that I would call the closest men are the Boy Scout dads. I never would have guessed that. But you think about stage of life. Most of the guys that have kids that are teenagers, you're probably doing stuff, rubbing shoulders with people doing something that your kid does, whatever that is. So whatever their extracurricular. And are you doing it intentionally or are you just ships passing the night with these people? Make it intentional. Make those relationships. Hang, you're hanging out with them. Have them over for dinner. Do life with them. That's what changes us. Hmm. Because too easily, too often, we do isolate. We're too busy. I've had three to four jobs my whole entire adult life since seminary. I've never had one job. So it's not like I go to work, work my little bit, and then I have this time off. It's one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. So I, Boy Scouts for me actually helped carve out some time that I knew was this is from not only my sons, but also once a month we go on a camp out where I get to sit around a fire if we're allowed to have fires and, and talk to these dads and get to know them. And it's been wild when we've had moments of crisis or moments of need where the number one people that come to us has been these these families. The other one has been our homeschool community. We homeschool our kids, and it's been amazing the relationships with those families that my wife has had with the women, and I've had with the dads um, that have they are the go to people. So wherever you're at, whatever you're, if you're at a school, you you need to know those your friends, the kids, parents. 
like wherever it is. And if you can't collect, connect with the parents, maybe you need to find some a different group. Be intentional because we need that. We live and die by it. Yeah. So a couple words I really took away is be intentional and plug into your tribe. And that doesn't always mean just work the job, but, you know, do things around your kids or your spouse that cause you to carve out mm -hmm. that time and be intentional. So, well, Corey, our time is up, man. This has been good. And I'm sure I'll have you back again because we probably have four to five hours to hear from you. I'd love to. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, my website is healinglives.com or drcorygilbert.com. Um, same place. And the on there, you can click to actually book a free call and for me to just talk with you and see how things are going, what's going on, what do you need, and see if I can help, see if there's a way I can um, walk alongside you for a season. And uh, books are linked on there, podcasts are linked on there, YouTube channels linked on there, all the stuff that I do. Uh, I come and speak at churches. I speak in places. I'd love to come um, do a, a teaching. I teach middle school up to, you know, marriage things. So I would say, too, just to wrap up, you know, if you're feeling, well, your situation isn't worthy of a phone call or that free um, conversation with Corey, I would say that probably isn't true. Mm -hmm. Reach out. We all have problems. In fact, I'll probably be calling Corey here soon mm -hmm. because I too have problems as we all do. So I can go hide and isolate or I can say, hey, Corey, here's where I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I have probably probably five friends I can go to at any point in time and I do it weekly because I know mm -hmm. I need it as much as anybody. And, and my wife- You're practicing what you preach. Yeah. Yes. My wife, she actually demands that I be a man. Mm -hmm. She's very- good about letting me be the man mm -hmm. and I don't always like it. You know, I don't want to show up and be the man, but yeah, she true. demands me be the man and uh, I come along guys as well. And so I on purpose show up because I need the sharpening. Yeah. So I love that. Well, Corey, thanks for being our guest today. It's been awesome. Appreciate the rec for allowing us to do our podcast here. If you like this or got some content out of this that was beneficial to you or anybody that you might think, please share it. And let us know that you have enjoyed this. This really means a lot. And if you're interested in being a guest or you know of somebody who would be a great guest, please reach out to me at my email, buddyp7 at gmail.com. And I'd love to have a conversation with you as well and figure out if you'd like to be on the show. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.